And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that vocal shouting. It's Dainer and Jay. It's Dainer and Jay. All right, the presenting sponsor for today's episode of Hear That Podcast Growling is Visa, a network for everyone. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Paul Andrew Jr. Jay Morrison of The Athletic. How are we doing, Jay? Doing great. I've recovered from Sunday. <laughs> it took a while to sort of mentally unpack. It did. Uh, everything and, and you know, what you're supposed to make of it and how you're supposed to feel. And it really did. It was one of those, I in, in the rewatch yesterday, I was able to sort of, okay, I almost wanted to, once they started having the field goal absurdity, I kind of just wanted to stop. Like, I only wanted to focus <laughs> We spent so much time focused on everything that happened after the first missed field goal by Mason Crosby that I was like, let's 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 really focus on everything that happened before it. Um, and there was actually a lot of interesting things that you know kind of get glossed over amidst the madness that are that are interesting to go through, and and we'll do some of that today. Um, there's a lot to get to. We've got some news that we're going to run through for you. I, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about something, Jay, that you wrote about in your story coming out of Sunday a little bit, and that was, you know, okay, the defense looked good enough to beat uh, an elite quarterback and running back and receiver. Um, when is the offense going to catch up? And what is going on? We'll take a little deeper look at what is going on that's stopping this offense from becoming what it's supposed to be and from being average to below average versus being, hey, maybe, maybe something in the top 10 area. What is happening there? Um, we're talking a bit about Joe Burrow, um, who is okay. I guess we should have started there. We should have started instead of introducing ourselves. <laughs> Burrow's okay. In case you didn't know, Joe Burrow is okay. No issues with the throat contusion. But there's um, a conversation that came as a result of that, sort of, um, that uh, I want to talk a little bit about. We're gonna have. I, I spoke with Darren Simmons. Uh, and I want to bring in our interview with Darren Simmons today, and that is there is no greater expert about judging conditions inside of Paul Brown Stadium for kicking footballs than Darren Simmons, who's been doing it for almost two decades. Nobody understands it more, so I asked him a couple of questions about exactly that, and uh, I think it's a really interesting look into what happened, what comes next for Evan McPherson and Mason Crosby, uh, and a little bit more about the kicking stuff that went down on Sunday. So we'll have that for you. I'm going to bring, we're going to, of course, have our weekly segment, bringing Mo Egger in. We're going to talk about his tweets. And one tweet set off a firestorm of people deciding, I guess, to take shots at the Bengals instead of just laughing at it. They have this cart. Uh that we put our recorders on whenever we do these interviews now, because because everything has they they they're making everything outside, um, under in the tunnel, and so they we put our recorders in this cart and they wheel the cart up uh, next in behind the microphone stand, 
um, so that we can get our audio since we have to stand so far away um, from the interviews we're doing. It's all just part of where they have us temporarily during the COVID season because they won't let us inside of the press conference room on non-game days. And so this cart is hysterical. Mo tweeted about how it looks like every cart you've ever seen uh, in 1995 in high school. We're going to get to that tweet. And I have a special treat for Mo that I'm going to surprise him with here uh, uh, as we're recording live and all of you that I'm, that I'm very excited about. Um, so all of that is coming. Bengals growler bet. Not happy about it. Not happy about it, Jay. Somebody is. Somebody is. Um, and we'll recap the run passer boot. Let's get to the news. Uh, Joe Burrow's okay again. Um, so he went was released from the hospital on Sunday night and returned to the building. Everything seemed okay. Basically just was having, you know, the, the word was that he was having trouble talking, uh, started feeling better at the hospital. They released him. He felt just fine, uh, on Monday morning. So came into the building, all is normal, not expected to have any limitations this week. We'll play Sunday. That's the bottom line. Everyone sighs a huge sigh of relief. I mean, just one of those that kind of shakes the house. Uh, the same one that 64,000 did together when he popped up on Sunday after being slammed to the turf by his head. Um, so the good news is everything's fine. Crisis averted. Um, I guess we'll just leave it at that for now. We'll talk a little bit more about how Burrow needs to slide later, but the bottom line of the news is he's okay. Trey Waynes, it continues. Uh, we talked to Lou Anarumo, defensive coordinator, uh, on Monday, and he said on the last play of the game, Trey Waynes pulls his hamstring. We don't know how serious it is yet. It happened at the last play of the game. They haven't practiced since. We'll find out a little bit more this week, but it didn't sound very good when Lou was talking about it. So perhaps we're going to see Trey Waynes miss more time. He's played in two of the possible 21 games since signing with this team after missing all of last year and the first three of this year. So that just kind of continues to be the problem. Um, Jackson Carmen and Samaj P. Ryan have been put on the COVID-19 reserve list. Uh, which means assuming they say asymptomatic and are vaccinated, uh, if they have two negative tests 24 hours apart, they can return. So there's certainly a chance um, that they return and play Sunday at Detroit. Um, but we don't know that at this point. They're just on the, the, the list, and the Bengals kind of move into the protocol. They did a lot of their stuff by Zoom on Monday, including our player interviews were via Zoom. So they've kind of reverted into that list. It's their first foray into that this year in the new protocols. They haven't really had any issues with it. So um, that's news there. We'll, we'll see what happens on, on them returning. Jordan Evans uh, confirmed that he is out for the year towards ACL. <laughs> um, so they'll have to kind of shuffle the decks, mostly on special teams. He was playing a small role in defense, but it's going to hurt Darren Simmons in his room. Um if Jackson Carmen does not play on Sunday, Deontay Smith, as we as you might imagine, would be the guy, fourth round pick, uh, who had a pretty good early camp, but um, Carmen sort of passed him at the last second. There would get his opportunity to come in and play right right guard. Uh, Jesse Bates was down in Sunday's game. It looks like he's going to be okay. I think we might see him battling this neck thing all year um, and just kind of playing through it. And you're going to see games where he's 
clearly fighting through it. So, but he seems to be okay, and the thought is that he will be fine. Anything strike you as particularly important, Jay? Uh, well, the, the Trey Waynes thing is the biggest because that when he or any corner goes out, they turn to Eli Apple, and that has been problematic. So it, they're catching a break. Detroit is really kind of banged up at wide receiver. They might be without their top two. So, you know, if, if there is a good time to be missing a, a starting corner, this this might be it. But, yeah, the other stuff, the Bates thing, I think you're right. I think it's one of those things that, that could linger. Not something that's going to hold him out, but something he's going to have to deal with. That was a really awkward hit. Um, right. I think it was the last play before the game winning field goal, if I remember right. Um, and he, he was down. It's like anymore when these guys go down, everybody takes a knee and you just, you, you used to only see that when it was serious. And now you see it. They did it when Burrow went down. They did it when, uh, Awuzier went down. It, it's, it's concerning when you see all these guys drop to a knee and then the player pops up and runs off kind of like a soccer injury almost. Um, but yeah, that, I, I think those are the biggest. And Jordan Evans, it, a lot of people might slough that off as not being that big of a deal because he is a a bit player on defense. But seventy five special or seventy five percent of the special team snaps. I mean, he's on everything. I think except extra points, and that that's a big deal. I mean, he's he's kind of taken over that that Clayton Fedulum role where where he he's a do all guy and one of the leaders on that special teams unit and you know Darren Simmons is 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 going to have to find a way to to he does he has to deal with this all the time usually when there's injuries whether it's a special teams guy or not it creates a shift in the depth chart and he has to bring new guys in and, and shuffle with it all the time but um losing a guy that that he uses as much as Evans is going to be a big deal for those special teams yeah i mean lose Clayton Fedulum, lose Ethan mm-hmm. Carter, and now lose Jordan Evans, kind of the guys that have filled that role three years in a row um, are out. But, you know, that's – and they, and they're just – you know, sort of talked to Darren about this yesterday, and this isn't a part of what I'll play for you guys later. And, you know, you said we're just starting to feel like you're getting close to, especially with kickoff return, you can see. Mm-hmm. And they've had a lot of opportunities for Brandon Wilson – and he really hasn't been able to pop one. And he all of a sudden, you're you you saw it happening a little bit against Green Bay, where he, I mean, really twice, he should have popped long ones. And the, the one it looked like if he would have cut to the inside, would have taken to the house. And you know, <laughs> just when you're getting close, you lose a core piece. It's like it's just kind of the way this league works sometimes. But um, yeah, I would agree with you. That's a big deal. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Let's dive into Joe Burrow. So, I mean, the thing is, 
Zach Taylor said, look, we've had these real conversations that we had to have it again on Monday. You are hurting the team by doing stuff like scrambling on third and 15, diving head first, trying to get it. Understand, get it. Understand you're a competitor. Understand, heck, it may cost the game by not getting it in that spot or whatever, even if, even if it's that big of a play. But the bottom line is in the big picture of the season, you're not protecting the rest of the team because they're, they lose without you out there. You have to protect yourself to protect the team. And it sounded, you know, and, and it sounded like it was a very real conversation with Joe on Monday about this. About I, it, it, Jamar Chase said after the game, you know, Joe's just hard headed. I tell him all the time, you got to slide. He's just hard headed. He's stubborn, right? As a Jamar Chase has to say, Zach Taylor said it a little bit more. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know how you would even put it. Uh, not quite as blunt, uh, but you 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 need to realize that this is really important. This isn't about being a competitor, okay? This is about understanding the big picture of you have to stay healthy. And, and I don't think there's any way around that. I mean, when it's third and 15 and he goes out there and he has some space, the reaction should not be maybe I can dive head first into traffic for this. The reaction should be, all right, I, I need to not take a hit or get out of bounds. If I can't get out of bounds, I need to slide, period. That's how every play that's not a sack, basically, should kind of end up for the most part. And, and I think that's something that it's, it's part of the learning process, right? I mean, it's like everything. It's like throw the ball away. Don't try to throw the deep ball down the field. You know, it's part of the decision-making process. Yeah, and I think that conversation needs to continue. It needs to be, you know, a constant reminder because it is – it's easy for us to sit here and say he needs to do that, but these guys are competitive and you, you get in that moment and you're not, you're just one thing on your mind, get the first down, get as many yards as possible. You, you almost kind of lose that big picture scope. And if it's something that's constantly drilled in, then then maybe it is more in the front of your mind. The other thing is if if it's third down and you're that close, just slide. And we see how, aggressive Zach can be on fourth down decisions. You you've got you put yourself in chant in a spot to get the first down safely. You know, if it's fourth down and you're running late in the game, that's a little different. You you almost have to kind of go for the sticks at that point. But early in the game, third down, take third and fifteen and turn it into fourth and five, fourth and four, and then we'll let and let the coach see if he wants to go for it or not. He just he can't be taking those kind of hits because it's it, it could be it it's not just the the knee that you have to worry about is what we saw Sunday, the, a head injury. And it's, it's very easy to get a concussion in this league. And even if it's not something that keeps you out long-term, it takes you out for the rest of the game. And how good do you feel about the Bengals winning that game? If Brandon Allen's playing the second half. So it is, it's something that they have to keep in the front of his mind. And, and maybe these conversations need to be ongoing, not just after he, he fails to follow what they're asking him. These defenders are not taking it easy on you because they feel bad about you, the fact that you were hurt last year. And I don't think there's any play that is more t- obvious than that. You get destroyed on your knee and thrown to the ground from the top on your head. I mean, we didn't talk really enough about it. I mean, Burrow's just laying there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's just laying there. And, and you're thinking, what the hell? I mean... And that's scary. That's absolutely scary stuff. And and for what? You know, I mean, it's the first half of a game. And, and I, but when you have that mindset, 
And that's part of the adjustment of the NFL is you got to understand in, in college, sure, you can occasionally take some hits. You will always take a big hit when you try to do that stuff in this league. Always. These dudes are out for the kill and they are huge. And you just, you, this isn't college. You got to protect yourself. You, I mean, look at Aaron Rodgers. He found himself in a lot of spots like that uh, on Sunday where he was scrambling or, or trying to get out and make a play. Always duck out of bounds, the easy throw away, just understanding when to just quit on it. And not only does that play with Burrow happen, which reminded me of the Washington game last year, not the knee injury, but when he dove and Chase Young hit him and he went twir- twirling and <laughs> on the ground, you know, that attitude. Um. You know, but not throwing the ball away. Uh, instead, end up throwing a pick right there at the top of the second quarter. You know, they're they're trying to do their thing, right? They hit the long ball to chase. Here, they're driving right out of the out of halftime. They're doing their thing. Morrison minutes, right? Like <laughs> they're gonna do it. And they get they and Jamar Chase gets a great yak play, one of his first really good yak plays. We catch, break a tackle. They're they're getting out of the end zone, and all of a sudden, you, you could just duck out of bounds or just toss it out of bounds, you throw a, D, a ball up that gets pick, picked off because you're just kind of throwing a, a, a jump ball to Auden Tate. It's killer. It's killer. And, uh, you know, those were the decisions I think that Zach Taylor had a problem with were the ones that are that they're obvious of just understanding when to give up on a play, understand when it ain't happening for you. He didn't really have a problem with the interception. I mean, he didn't like it, obviously, but it's it's just it's something you do. You it's a throw. You didn't see the linebacker. What are you gonna do? Do well, I obviously you shouldn't throw it right to the linebacker? Like it's it's not a really a correctable thing. It's obvious. It's just a mistake happens. It's a bad decision. Whatever stuff like that is stuff you got to learn of how you have to play, how he needs to play. It's like okay, we went the pendulum swung, right? Conservative, conservative. I don't want to leave the pocket. Oh, I'm feeling confident now. I'm feeling confident now. I'm going to dive head first on third and fifteen. You know, it's like you got to get back to understanding what the middle ground is now that you're feeling more confident in your leg. And we'll see, we'll see how that plays out going forward. But it sounds like it was a major point of conversation on Monday. Yeah. So it's not just that decision to to not slide. It's it's the the pass down the sideline to Auden Tate. Yeah, if it's if it's third and fifteen, maybe you take that shot. You 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 trust Auden Tate to win 50-50 balls, and maybe he he maybe even catches that one if if Joe throws it a little better. But first and ten in the opponent's territory on the opening drive of the third quarter when you're trying to get the Morrison minute double up, that that was just that was a really bad decision. You don't see that from Joe a lot, but it it, it all kind of goes together with with growing up in this league and making the good decisions when to throw it away, when to slide. Even sliding doesn't guarantee you're not going to take a hit. This is such a fast game and you see guys sometimes can't hold up. It's just he's all those things and and I'm sure Zach and, and Brian will do this. We'll continue to drill it into his head that get down, throw the ball away, live for the next play. Yeah, and that's part of yeah, it's part of growing up. It's, it's part of understanding the NFL game and, and learning a little bit. And even Aaron Rodgers, I mean, still took his shot and, and got intercepted by Cheeto. Uh, yeah. you know, kind of on a similar type of thing where he just he took a shot towards the end, but you know, he he's used to winning those thrown to Devontae Adams, even in traffic, um, which was a, a great interception by Cheeto. We don't talk about enough, and I'll have a lot more on him this week. Um, but let's talk about the offense. 
and, and what's going on here. You know, Jay, you wrote about this in that we we've seen kind of the defense look like it can play at a certain level, but the offense is is just not quite there yet. I mean, they had every opportunity to win this game. They're still yet to get up into the 30s. They're kind of living in this 22 to 24 range now. And considering how many opportunities the defense is giving them and some short fields, including a, a number of short fields on Sunday against the Packers, it's just not enough. You know, in in your mind, when you kind of started diving into it, what what do you where do you see the the disconnect? It's it's hard to say. What the the, the unique thing about it is and Dave Lapham pointed this out in the press conference with Zach yesterday that it's it's all or nothing. It's like if they get a first down, it almost always turns into a a, a long drive, either a scoring drive or where they move the ball down the field and kind of flip field position or else it's a three and out. They have they have so many three and outs and it's such a weird dichotomy because they if they do get in the red zone, they score. They're third in the league in red zone touchdown percentage. So if they get down there, if they get moving, they're great. They get this rhythm going, and and they they find a way to to keep the chains moving and make plays. But it's like if they if they stumble, if they if they're incomplete on first down, then they do the second and long run, and then get in a, a must passing situation on third down, and they end up punting. I think that's where the the consistency they, the consistency they need to be better on on first down, and particularly the first first down of every drive. So a few of the numbers I dug into, you know, I was just obsessed loving our true media stuff and our <laughs> ability to to filter out and really find situationally what's going on and get to the root of a lot of these problems. You mentioned it, third in the NFL in red zone t- touchdown percentage. I mean, when they get down there, they're scoring. Um, they are 30th in the league in three and out percentage. Hmm. I mean, they just can't seem to get it going. You know, they are – tied for 16th in points per drive. I mean, think about that. You're pounding it into the end zone every time you get down there, but you're in the middle of the pack in points. You know, it's just, it, you're right. It's the all or nothing mentality of these drives not getting going. What happened on Sunday, you saw when they had third down and short, third in between one and three yards to go, they had seven of them. That it was the most in the league this past Sunday. Seven of those situations. They were two for seven. On the season, they rank 30th in the NFL in converting third and short. They have to get better there. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. That's how three and outs happen. You start a drive, you get yourself in third and short, and your QB sneak doesn't hit, or you try to run it and it gets caught, or you haven't it ball gets knocked down, or whatever it is, and you get nothing. You know, <laughs> I, it's it's one of those things that they've got to, they've got to find a way to be better there. You know, on the on the year they're nine for twenty on third and short. You know, that's not going to cut it. I mean, that's. The, to get to the average would be five more drives that get to the next one. I mean, five more drives, and as much as, as we just talked about, those are ending in touchdowns a lot of the time. I mean, you're talking about there's your difference. There's your difference between 24 points and 31 points per game. 
You know, you've got to get better and figure out what's going on on third and short because it's killing them and it really killed them on Sunday. Yeah, and Jamar Chase said it. That that's what you want. You 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 play to get to third and short. Those are the situations you want to be in. Those are the situations you have to capitalize on. And it's just it's surprising. I I don't know how much how much is play calling on those third and shorts. How much of it is execution? But they've got to get it figured out. They've they it, that that alone that one thing just flip that a little bit and you're right it's all of a sudden you're talking about a much more explosive much more productive offense those seven plays on sunday you had four passes and three runs the two conversions were both passes you know mm-hmm. the the i they, it so much goes back to the line i mean really when you're talking about third and short you're talking about muscling people an extra foot you're talking about giving the extra bit of the passing lane for the quick game, stuff like that, and and particularly in the interior, right? I mean, you're 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 trying to go a short distance between two spots. You're trying to go up the middle half the time, and they're just weak there. They're, they're you know Jackson Carmen has got pushed around. Trey Hopkins is getting pushed around. So many plays you see get blown up because they get walked back, you know, and it's. I don't know what the answer is because there's no, nobody new is walking through that door. You know, uh, young Richie Bram ain't walking through that door. <laughs> uh, you know, that's Kevin Zeitler will be on the other sideline in two weeks. That opportunity was blown. So you're, this is where you're at. And, and that stuff is a significant part of it, obviously. Yeah, I think there's a lack of confidence there. That's why you see it with, on these third and shorts when they they run instead of pass because Zach kind of talked about this. The last thing you want to do is have something silly like a holding penalty or a, a sack take you out of field goal range. A lot of those third and shorts, they were on the cusp of a field goal range. And it's just it's ironic, really, because he has been so aggressive on going for it on fourth down. And when it comes down to the analytics and the math and it says, okay, this yard line, this distance, you go for it. It's, it's cut and dry percentage. They go for it. Percentage to say, don't either kick or punt, whatever situation in the third and short, it's a little different. It's, it's there, there is no book there. There's no analytics. It's, it's up to Zach to, to pick the play. And he's as aggressive as he is on fourth down there. They, they kind of go the other way on third down. It's almost like playing not to lose. And yes, when Aaron Rodgers is on the other side, that 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 has to play into your decision making. But the best way to to limit Aaron Rodgers is to get the first down and and, and be more aggressive in trying to do it. And we'll see. We'll see if it's all part of the kind of the slow start to the season and what you've written about, where that you know, kind of a little bit of training wheels with this offense. And if if they get to the point where they really do open it up and start getting more aggressive on third down and not just on fourth down. You know, they did open it up. I mean, the the insane amount of passes versus runs that was happening in the first mm-hmm. half. I mean, where they just threw it. I mean, I think it was up 20 to 3 in the first half on dropbacks to runs. I mean, they just felt like that's where their advantages were in one of the, you know, one of the runs you end up with your QB sneak uh, by Joe Burrow. And, and so it's that stuff where people scream all the time, just sneak it, right? <laughs> 
and then they'll yell, "Yo, you gotta! How'd you? What'd you do that for? Right? You don't get it. It's, you are damned if you do, damned if you don't. Sometimes you have days like that, but they haven't just had days like that. They're nine of twenty on the year on third and short, and it's got to be better. And they got to figure out what's going on there. Um, so that's that's a big part of it. I think people yell about second and long runs. You mentioned it just now. I did. I do want to pass along those numbers. They, I mean, they do do it more than most. Um, they. They have here's the interesting thing. They have the fewest second and long situations if you're looking at second and ten plus in the entire league. Only twenty five of them. I think the Browns have twenty eight or something. I mean they they've hardly found themselves in a true second and long. They rank twenty sixth in pass rate on those. So yeah, they. You know they run it more than most, but they're not the worst. They have nine rushes in those twenty five plays, those twenty five rushes. So they, yes, they they have been. You know, and that's why people throw their hands up. They hate it. Um, they're not the worst, but it, you know, you're, you're they're they're not in that situation as much um, as a lot of others. But it always stands out when when they do it because it rarely works. What what constitutes second long on those on those numbers? I Is did it second 10, 10? 10 plus. Second and but ten they, or more, they do find themselves in second nine, second eight, second seven, and a lot. And the, yeah. and that though, though I kind of consider that second and long. Yeah, uh, medium is six, and they that they do run a lot. If you if you were to look at seven, second and seven or longer, I bet they're I bet they're near the top of the league. The number of times they face that because they do run on first down a lot. They've been running a lot and, until Mixon was out Sunday. They they really you saw the the balance of pass to run skew. But it, it 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 does seem like that happens a lot, where they'll either a, a a wide receiver screen that doesn't go anywhere, or just a regular run gets two or three yards on first down, and then they try to mitigate the the risk on third down and and run it again on second and seven, second and eight, and then they get in those third and five, third and fours, which you think should be manageable, and that's they struggle there as well. And that's the problem. You're playing your offense. Your strategy has been to be comfortable with putting yourself in third and manageable mm. and then you're not converting those not to the percentage that you need to be so you can't you can't have it both if you're if you're gonna stink at converting third and shorts you might as well just be more aggressive on the early downs which you probably should be more aggressive on the early downs anyway but i mean and maybe we'll see that going forward again a lot of this does lean back into those opening weeks where we talked a lot about that the last few weeks where they were, they were clearly having a strategy of being careful with Joe Burrow so it all plays together the bottom line is the offense needs to needs to start to turn that corner soon and because it's fine you know to talk about being close against Green Bay the difference between this team being the team that they want to be and be able to make the playoffs and being one that is going to lose too many of those close games is this offense finding itself and health continuing, but this offense finding itself a little bit and becoming that group that everyone thinks that they should be. They're just not that right now. Um, and, and we'll see how that plays out in the coming weeks because guess what? Defensive schedule ain't getting easy. <laughs> All right, let's just take a quick break. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub. 
an official partner of The Athletic. Let's talk a little bit. I want to revert a little bit more back um, and bring in Darren Simmons here because a lot of people have been talking about the kicks and all the missed kicks and 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 what does this mean for Evan McPherson who'd had one of the greatest runs you've ever seen about a month and a half where he didn't didn't miss anything I never saw the man miss a thing um and hitting game winning kicks all over the place um all of a sudden now he's got some adversities he missed some big ones he's celebrated too early no one knows more about kicking in Paul Brown stadium and uh, dealing with kickers that have missed some clutch kicks than Darren Simmons. Uh, so I wanted to bring him in, and so I spoke to him yesterday, and here's our convers- Here's my conversation with Bengals special teams coordinator Darren Simmons. I was going to start here with you just to dive right in. I mean, you have been judging wind and conditions in that stadium for almost two decades now. Was that Was that easy? Was it... Was it more challenging than it looked, or or, or why, why why do you think it was such a problem for the kickers yesterday? Um, I, I don't think personally. I I, I don't think that uh, it had much effect, maybe on uh, Crosby. Um, I, I think Crosby's hits, um, other than maybe one of them, were destined for were were destined to be outside a little bit. Um, I, I just don't. I don't think that the the conditions had as much effect on him uh, as I, I think they did on Evan. I think Evan just hits a much higher ball. Um, you know, the the top of Evan's kick I think is higher than Mason's. And what, what I think it was because it was difficult to feel when you were standing there on the sideline. I really didn't feel much, uh, you know, of a breeze. Um, but I think when you looked up above at the flags, uh, you know, like the American flag and the uh, north end zone for us towards the city. Yeah, it was whip- it was whipping good, and the wind. We- I knew the wind was coming from the south, so it was coming from the river. And I, I think in the end, I think what it was, I think the wind as it comes in off of the south, off of the river. You know, that's the obviously the end that the the stadium is not as high that that upper deck. We don't have a true upper deck up there. It's it's a shorter deck, and I think the wind was coming right over the top of the stadium as it's affecting. You know the ball like at the top of the where the top of the uprights were i think you saw it affected one of kevin's uh uh well really kind of a couple of kevin's punts and one of his punts too you know both really all punts all three punts i think that were hit essentially back towards the river were not very good punts and i think the ball went up and it hit the wind and then just pushed it to our you know hit a hit, hit a bank and on, on two of the punts it pushed them to our sideline short and kind of out of bounds he had a really bad one out of bounds um and i think on on evan's kick uh you know they you know, what's crazy is you, obviously you see those guys celebrating like they him kevin clark they all they all three everybody thought that he had made it and all of a sudden at the end he didn't make it uh i think they felt 100 percent confident it was in then it wasn't yeah and uh so I think there was there was more upper level wind than what we could feel um, down the field. Yeah, and uh, that, that that didn't happen very often. But I think that had some effect, um, especially on, on on Evans' kick, um, the the, the forty nine yarder. I don't think it affected the fifty eight yarder that much. I think it affected the forty nine yarder. I mean, you you kind of knew going down to that end mm-hmm. was going to be harder all day, right? Zach kind of mentioned that yep. that it was going yep. in. 
kicking towards the river was harder, which probably affected the decision yeah. to, you know, to punt in a couple of those spots going that direction. Yep. Yeah, sir. Well, um, yeah, maybe. I mean, we had one punt, I think, that was from the 40. Uh, that, that that had something to do with it. Um, he hit, uh, Evan hit from 56 in pregame going that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hit, a, he hit a good, and he he had enough to clear it by a couple yards. Um, but, you know, you're attempting a 58-yard field goal at that end. Again, the, the um, percentages go down significantly when you get to the outer reaches of their their uh, uh, length limits anyway. And then part B is you're giving Aaron Rodgers the ball at midfield. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a couple factors I think to figure into that. Um, it was certainly blowing towards downtown, and we we I felt very comfortable to get plenty of distance um, with the one there with whatever there was. Uh, Fifty seven on the I, one off the upright, yeah. Yeah, I, I had no, I had no, didn't even blink on that. Oh my God, is this? Can can we make it? But there was no question in my mind he could make it from a distance standpoint. Yeah, and uh, I still don't think he, he didn't he didn't hit that ball perfect. Um, that ball he undercut just a little bit and it kind of pushed. Uh, to the right, I mean, just you know, uh, I, I think it's one of those learning processes, you know, for him to go through. That uh, you know, to learn how to control. It's just all part of the evolution of being an NFL kicker, any kicker, frankly, for that matter. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure he gets his adrenaline's flowing. Here we got a chance to potentially end it right here. Um, you know, and he gets a bunch of adrenaline going. He pushes a little bit harder to get to the ball. You know, and and. Uh, just undercuts it just enough. I mean, I mean, we're talking the the the, but I mean, we're, we're talking millimeters of a uh, of a difference, you know, coming off of his foot, which makes you know a couple feet difference of the goalpost from fifty seven yards. So, you know, it's just uh, um, it's obviously a frustrating deal. You know, those are ones that uh, we're hoping that he makes, but um, you know, he'll bounce back. He'll be fine. They were. I still. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a, a forty-nine yard field goal go over the uh, over the top of the upright at that end of the field. <laughs> um, you know, like the game when he just he, he's, he's got a lot. Of, we just got to get it all channeled in the right direction. I mean, you know, not only does it go over. I mean, you mentioned the, the wind coming up over the top. I mean, yeah. that was as big of a left hand turn in the last fifteen yards as you'll yeah. see. It almost it, yeah. it was almost like a gust came on top of everything yeah. else. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It almost that's why those guys were celebrating. Yeah. There, there was not a, a you know, those, Evan, Kevin, none of them. They started celebrating right, right away. They think he smoked it right down the middle, and all of a sudden it just took a left hand turn. That's the same thing they told me. They come off Evan said I had no, never the thought even crossed my mind that it was going to miss left. He goes, he said, hell, when it come off my foot, it even started pushing back right a touch, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, at the last minute it went left. Like they were confused. But they yeah. thought, what the other officials screwing with us here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, so no, they weren't. <laughs> All right, that was Bengal special teams coordinator Darren Simmons. It, I find the it's interesting when you think about it. The when you kick towards the river, the south bank being lower, and you can get. The occasional, he said, it's rare; it doesn't happen all the time. But you get these occasional gusts that just come over the top. And and that's what you see. I mean, but I, I'm with you. And we talked about it after the game. I just never seen a ball move like that in the last 15 yards. Mm-hmm. And and like Darren said, I mean, there's a reason he thought he flushed it. It was even moving the other direction. All of a sudden, at the last second, just hangs a hard left. 
um, because of some gust that came over the South Bank and learning experience. Yeah, because it, we talked about it in the press box Sunday that the American flag was almost straight out for most of the game. And then the little orange flags on top of the uprights would be completely limp and not moving at all. And then they would. Then you would see them gust up. And it it it, it is really strange that to have that happen. I went back and watched. I, I don't know if he's done this every kick, but I watched Evan's game-winning kick against Jacksonville. And like, as soon as he boots it, he points at it. Like he knows exactly where it's going and he starts the celebration early. And that's what he did on this one. He, he, he points like, yep, I got it. And he turned, he's turning around, starting to celebrate before the ball's even halfway there. He was that confident that it was going in and just one of those weird situations. Um, that it's probably like Matt LaFleur said, it's probably gonna be on football follies forever, but you know, it's just, it's one of those things where a young team trying to get a footing in this league, those are the little things that you got to overcome and, and, and get past. And I don't know. I don't, I have no worries whatsoever about Evan McPherson. I, I thought it was, We've been pretty lucky here. I know before I started covering the team, there were some incidents where kickers might duck out and not talk to the media. Um, when Mike Nugent was going through his bad run, he always faced the media. Randy Bullock, after the CZ Cavs game, talked. Um, and Evan McPherson came into the post game press conference and he didn't seem, he didn't seem, bo- not, he, he did seem bothered. He didn't seem like it was going to affect his confidence at all. He, he just spoke plainly about what happened, and he seemed like a guy that can't wait to get back out there and, and have another game-winning opportunity. Kicking's a lot like golf. I'm always, like, There's a lot mm-hmm. of kickers are good golfers, typically, and there's so many similarities in like, swing technique and repeatable, repeatability and all that type of stuff. When I play golf, now granted, I'm not good, but when I play golf, if I just destroy a drive right down the fairway and it hits like a grate and ends up in some bad crap. I'm okay. Like I, I hit it good. Like I, I hit it exactly the way I wanted to it. And I got some bad luck down there. I'll take that knowing that, okay, I'm, I'm hitting the ball. Well, I, I, that I, I'm concerned if, if I hit one and it hooks back into the fairway and I kind of get lucky and it goes through like, that's when I'm like, Oh no, my swings going sideways. I don't, I I don't want these people to see me play like this. Uh, But when you, when you hit it well and you get bad luck, I'm okay with it, you know? And I think that that was to me the way that Evan what felt after the game was he was like, I mean, I hit it just the way I wanted to. And I destroyed it. It went over the top of the uprights from 49. You know, and he hit it right on the line, and all of a sudden you get this happen. Look, when you're in, and Zach Taylor talked about it after the game, and a reason why we talk about feeling okay about the direction of the team is when you play in close games, you play enough close games, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. You know, there's the league is like that. There's a bounce here, a gust of wind there. The Bengals had had some good luck in some of those situations to this point. Now they got a, some bad luck on that one spot, and they had some good luck on Sunday. It's when the games are close. This that's what it ends up being is is one way or the other. In this particular one, there was a gust, and 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 it changed things. But you know that's you want to have it. You want to have the win, but that's what it is. I, kind of on that topic, I want to bring in Mo Egger, uh, who sort of who starts to dive in this a little bit with a tweet. So our guy from ESPN 1530, uh, here's Mo. Let's talk to Mo about his tweets. How are we doing, Mo? 
Awesome. What's up, guys? Doing well. Doing, doing good. Jay, uh, do you have Mo's tweet stats for the week? I do. He's ramping up as we get in the season. He's oh. got a, <laughs> a career high since we've started doing this show, 112. Career high 112 tweets this week for you. I, I bet you've had much bigger weeks in the past. I have. I've had, I've had days where I've sent that many. So <laughs> I feel like I got to pick up my game a little bit. Still a good run for you. I, uh, um, I'm excited about the second half of our segment today because I've done a I'm little not. extra work. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm, I'm excited to hear your reaction because I think I'm going to unveil to the world something that they don't realize about something that probably brought them a lot of joy. Um, we'll start here, though. You had this tweet, basically, I believe it was Sunday, very soon after the end of the Bengals' loss to the Packers. Very disappointing loss, but if you felt before today that the Bengals are headed in the right direction, then this result should not dissuade you. I think there's like a lot of debate from this game about how you're supposed to feel, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're supposed to be angry after losses, and especially after ones that feel as heartbreaking as that one, and being told that maybe you shouldn't totally um, is, I think, contrary to everyone's natural instincts was that is that where you were going with this kind of yeah contrary to my natural instincts because i usually get angry after losses i, I number one i wanted to send a tweet with the word dissuade in it because not many of those <laughs> especially from inside paul brown stadium on game day yeah. um I, I, first of all i don't tell people how to feel if if you're angry if you went home and flipped over your furniture uh after that game fine i i'm not I'm, I'm not into telling you how you should feel all i can do is tell you how i feel and tell you to share some perspective and if you went into that game thinking you know what the Bengals are trending upward organizationally this team has a chance they're building towards something that could one day be very good i don't know that losing that football game should make you change your mind if you went into that game very, very skeptical, as many were, about what the Bengals were doing. Well, then um, Sunday is probably ammunition for that skepticism. And if you're just so jaded and cynical about this franchise, which they've earned, that no matter any amount of success they have, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and you think it's now going to trigger this downward spiral where now they finish with like four wins, well, then I'm not going to get in your way. But I, I guess for me, if, if Evan McPherson bangs home one of those field goals, we're talking about how resilient this team is. And, oh, boy, Joe Burrow stood in there toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers, and he peeled himself off the field after it looked like he died out there. And, well, so, so the, the field goals don't go in. We're, we're not going to say those things. Um, were they great on Sunday? No. Uh, they had no answer for Devontae Adams, which many teams don't. Joe Burrow was hit way too often. I, like a lot of people, think it's worth discussing some of the decision-making by Zach Taylor at the end of the fourth quarter in, in an overtime, and you'd like to have some of those plays back. The Joe Burrow interception at the start of overtime was incredibly sobering. But I just, I, I've really tried to, and this has taken some effort, I've tried to not attach um, my emotions entirely to the outcome. I was disappointed, and there is going to be a time in which all that matters is, do they win this game or lose this game? I don't know that Sunday was it. Uh, I I saw a team that stood in there toe-to-toe with uh, an injury-filled Super Bowl contender, but still a Super Bowl contender, and then at the end of the day is three and two. They've played in five games that, for most of them, felt like they could have gone either way. I felt good about this team on Sunday morning. I feel pretty good about where they're heading on on Tuesday morning. I I just – I'm not going to be – 
so caught up in the disappointment over one result that I, I think a lot of the good things we were saying about this team should be undone. If you disagree, the part that whenever you do this, and I, I knew it was coming, oh, moral victories are for losers. It's not a moral victory. Uh, you know, you guys know those players and coaches would say exactly as much. But to me, it was just, here's how I felt about this team coming into this game. And this game itself did nothing to change how I felt. It wouldn't have had they won. It wouldn't have. It didn't because they lost. And by the way, had they won the game, I wasn't going to pretend that this was a team that had a chance to win the Super Bowl either. So uh, it, it to me was just a reflection of I don't think this game, as disappointing as it is, and it was, is worth overreacting to. And that comes from somebody who overreacts for a living. So you can do what you want with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm always interested because we, we sit couple hundred feet apart watch the exact same game yet we have vastly different experiences <laughs> watching these games i'm curious what it was like in the stands because there was a lot of packers fans and it was like that one of those games where nobody wants to win yeah. um was it i mean was it because you, you get to nfl games and the alcohol starts flowing and you get a lot of visiting <laughs> fans and it can it can get pretty intense i was just wondering was it more like everybody kind of commiserating with each other because nobody wanted to win it was it was it a a feel good, happy thing with the Packers fans. Yeah, it was. It was like the shared experience of, okay, your kicker can't make one. Our kicker can't make one. Let's just all sort of uh, take this together. And in fact, I sat right next to a Packers fan and we talked about how fitting this would be if the game ended in a tie. Mm -hmm. And then if it tied, if that's how it ended, we were going to hug each other. We were going to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> what was interesting is on the, the last McPherson kick where he starts celebrating the guy that I was sitting next to, because I, you know, I, I sit, where you sit on the sidelines, sometimes what you have to do is just look at the players or the officials underneath the, the goalposts. You mm -hmm. really sometimes can't tell if the ball went to the uprights. So I, my, I was fixated on the Green Bay sideline. This dude next to me was fixated on Evan McPherson. And McPherson like starts pumping his fist and they're celebrating and he thinks the kick is good. I'm watching the Packers sideline and they're losing their minds and I'm like, what 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 just happened? I mean, for, for a second, it was like, what is going on here? But um, I thought just as a fan experience, and I know there's a lot of people who get mad when opposing fans come to games. Well, if it bothers you that much, then more Bengals fans should buy the tickets. As a sporting event atmosphere, I thought Sunday was awesome. And the game was close. Um, in my experience as Packers fans have always been very, very nice. The people near me. And we're behind the Packers sideline. So there's always a little bit more Packers fans there than might be spread around the stadium. Um, it was just an awesome game from that standpoint. But yeah, there was this sort of shared commiseration over. All right, Mason Crosby just missed another one. Here you go, guys. Go win the game. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll see you, Mason Crosby. <laughs> and I'll raise you a third and five run that that lends itself to a long field goal try. Um there, there was the, the shared sort of experience. And also, I mean, Jay, you wrote about Greg Gall last week. When the Packers come to town, which is obviously pretty infrequent, these games are always extraordinarily memorable for a thousand different reasons. That game in 2013 was bananas. That game in 2005 was was crazy. And, and the game on Sunday was was certainly memorable. But, there, yeah, there's, there's a part of me that wonders how we all would have reacted had the game ended in a tie. And for a while, I thought that was going to happen. All right. This is something I've been very excited about, Mo, and I'm ready uh, to do this. So also, I'm going to start with your tweet, but I have an addendum yeah. onto the end of it. Okay. The tweet was, when I was a senior in high school, we had a teacher. 
who rolled a TV into the classroom so we could watch Miami's upset over Arizona in the 1995 NCAA tournament. The cart mm-hmm. Brian, Brian Callahan, is standing behind is what the TV was rolled in on. Now, for background, this <laughs> set off a viral storm of sorts. And uh, I didn't mean for it to. I didn't uh, it really, mean for it to. It doesn't matter what you meant. <laughs> this is the internet. And so it, it, it went really national, actually. It was quite significant uh, what happened as this kind of blew up about this cart. And if you haven't seen it, uh, search Rolly cart probably on the internet. And I don't think you'll have much problem finding it with uh, Brian Kelly and from the, the Bengals use this where we all put our recorders on this cart and it gets rolled to being in front of the person who's standing in this leaky tunnel that we do these interviews in now in front of their Bengals background. Um, a lot of things were said about this and, and that's all fine. And they're all very funny. I actually found it Quite, I'm, I'm disappointed the GoFundMe didn't quite take off for a real podium for the I'm, Bengals. I'm heartened that the GoFundMe didn't take off. Yeah. <laughs> However, <laughs> there is one element of this that, despite how funny this observation is and how great it has been for everyone to uh, discuss it, that nobody realizes. The funniest part about this cart is it sounds exactly what you think like it sounds like <laughs> when you roll it. Cam, can you roll that for me? That is what the cart sounds like when you roll it, Mo. And I think that is much better than the photo. <laughs> and when you put the two together, it's what makes this truly special. So as as somebody who was in the AV club in high school, and I mean, you you talk about on the level of nerddom, right? I, I you know, there's like French horn player, chess, AV club. That's what I was doing. So I've rolled some carts down the hallway. That brings back very vivid memories of and Mrs. Hess, your carts here for your film strip. I mean, very vivid memories. That is that that has made my day. That is yes. that has made my day. First of all, I, I legitimately did not mean for this to turn into another round of the Bengals are too cheap. I, I get why the interviews are being done where they I just thought it was a fun visual that harkened back, uh, brought memories that harken me back, uh, if that's the right way of putting it to the you know late 80s, early 90s of being in junior high and high school. And there would always be a day in which you were required to watch a, a movie. Maybe it was sex said it was something. And somebody later in my high school years, me would would wheel in the cart and there would be a, you know, a, a television from the early 80s on it and you would watch it. And so I just thought, ha. And then that legitimately did happen. 1995, we're in Mr. Daly's media class. I'm a senior in high school and uh, we all wanted to watch the NCAA tournament. Miami was playing Arizona. Devin Davis was a big upset in, in, in the history of like <laughs> recent, somewhat recent, I guess, local college basketball upsets. This was high on the list. And they wheel this cart in, and that's what we watch the game on. And then 26 later, an NFL team is staging somewhat makeshift press conferences with the offensive coordinator standing behind that exact same cart. Where does an NFL team get that cart? Did a high school have some sort of rummage sale where it's like everything must go? We're upgrading. We're, we're, we're mounting our TVs now, right? So uh, here you want some carts? Did they get a, a you know, a, 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 a like to get buy a bunch in bulk? How does this work? Who got the cart? Did Hamilton County taxpayers pay for that cart? Am I on the hook for that cart? There's a lot of things that I want to know. 
And I just thought it would be the, the kind of thing we would all laugh and have fun with. No. Uh, and I'm, I'm waiting for my email from the Bengals going, dude, like, why, why, why do you have to rip on the, <laughs> but the fact that it makes the cart sound just, it makes me, mm. it makes me so happy. Yeah. It's ideal. Uh, I mean, the funny thing is like, I, we just have become so used to it. Um, there, there's another element of this. That's great. What also when it rains in the tunnel, it like everything leaks. And so there's also which might also remind you of your high school, elementary school days, <laughs> a big garbage can that they put behind us that catches all the water that's leaking out of the tunnel. So yeah. when you listen to, if you're listening to an interview, you hear the wheels of the squeaky car at the beginning. And then while someone's talking, you also hear <laughs> of the water hitting the garbage can catch behind us as it, as it all leaks. The, the setup is fantastic. It's great. Yeah. And I know because of COVID there, I mean, somebody asked me, is that the media room? And I said, no, the media room's actually pretty nice. I think it's, you know, sort of your, your garden variety NFL media room. It's, it's, it's fine. Right. That's, that's not it. That's not what they, when they built Paul Brown stadium, they were like, ah, oh, damn, roll a cart in here, throw up a backdrop and put a microphone on the cart. We're good. No, well, that wasn't it. They're, they're doing this somewhat out of necessity, but come on. Visual is funny. It's funny. The visual mm -hmm. is, Can we just laugh? Worth. Can we just laugh yeah, at it? Here's a national football <laughs> league team in the biggest sports league in the country worth billions. And they're staging makeshift press conferences with everybody putting their recorders on the same cart that in which I watched a, a movie about how babies are made. That is funny. <laughs> Just laugh at it. It's funny. We're allowed. We're allowed to laugh at it. Mo, I appreciate. Uh, do you want me to? Uh, do you want me to bring that audio to your show? Yes, I yeah. need the audio. Yes. All right. So today, uh, Tuesday from three to four, as we do every Tuesday. I'll I would Mo rather talk hour. about the cart than play calling in overtime. <laughs> we'll start. We'll open the show with the cart and the sound, and then at some point, maybe we'll. Maybe we'll get to the, the game on Sunday. Yes, that would be that would be fun. That'd be great. Mo, it's been a pleasure as always. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, guys, thanks. <laughs> Jay, I'm very excited about this. <laughs> I love that. The sound, the squeaky wheel sound is just too good. They're they're gonna be mad at us. No, look, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I, I know it, it is. Again, can we just laugh at it? Can we just laugh? <laughs> we it's should a, because it's, a, it's hysterical. And it's, I mean, they, you do need to defend them a little bit as bad as it looks. I mean, that's, that cart was never supposed to be seen. It's, it's strictly for us because they put bike racks up so we can't get anywhere near the podium. So in a post-game press conference, you can walk back and forth between your seat and the dais that they sit on and put your recorder up there. And, but in this situation, there's no way to get close and you don't want the bad audio of being six to eight feet away. So they got the cart for us so we could get our our recorders closer and the TV cameras there are zoomed in tight on the player and the print media is, is supposed to just be getting audio. And it just, it took one person to take a kind of a wide angle shot of, of Brian Callahan talking and one tweet from Mo to really kind of make this a, a laughing stock situation. It's really Mo's fault. It is. It's always Mo's fault. Yeah. But here's the thing that I love about that audio but it cracks me up. I think that should be the new, you know how you always, there's always like a bumper transition audio uh, <laughs> whenever you bring in somebody speaking. And usually it's something like, whoosh, whoosh, or like something like that. Like, rawr, right. As like your, your break in between us talking and going to the locker room. I think anytime we go to locker room audio from now on that squeaky cartwheel will be our, will be our, our transition bumper. 
I, I think every one of us should show up Wednesday with a can of WD-40. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you think the po- they're not going to have a podium on Wednesday? Will they will they bring a podium out? Will they they, peer pressure? This is the question. Will peer pressure and the forces of the internet cause them to bring out a podium? Will they, Jay? I ask you now. They they have a podium. They bought a podium, but it didn't have wheels. So that's why they went to the cart. So will they will they somehow attach wheels to the one they bought? Will they go buy a new one with wheels, or will they just say the cart? I think they will. We've seen the the tray. They go around with the tray. We put our recorders on it, right, and then yeah. put it down on the on the podium. Maybe that will be what happens next. That'd I'm curious it. to see if they will give in to peer pressure, or will you? You know what I say? Lean into the cart. Put <laughs> everybody gets their own cart. You know, I think you should have everybody whoever's talking. You put like a cardboard cut out of their face on the front of it. <laughs> Lean in, own the cart. That's what I'm saying. Don't don't shy away. Go harder. More carts. I don't think they'll do that. I, I would love it, but I don't think they'll do that. We shall see. We shall see how this plays out. Um, I'm excited. I did like our good friend Jim Ozarski, who was on the pod last <laughs> week, said, you know, when you do, you need to Photoshop Brian and his cart into different places around the world. He had him like in <laughs> Egypt in front of the pyramids. I love it. I, so if, if you if you happen to see that, yeah, Photoshop Brian and his cart to famous places in the world. And, and where's Brian today? <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right. Let's dive in. Jay, you have some stats. We got some stats to get to. What do you what do you got on stats? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, everybody knows there's there's a lot of games in the NFL end up being one possession games, and we talked about how close how many the Bengals had in the past. Uh, this year, it's it's not just one possession; it's it's three point games. Four of their five games have been decided by by three points or less. So I went and I looked at first of all what what's the record for most games they've had in a season decided by three points or less, and it's seven. So they're over halfway there with eleven. When was that? 12 to go. So it happened twice. It happened in 1995. They went two and five. The interesting one is it happened in 1980 and they went four and three. They were four and 12 that year overall. All four of their wins came by three points or less. That was the year they went from last to the Super Bowl. I mean, I I think if you find a way to to win close games like that team did. That was a bad team, four and 12, but they had a winning record in games decided by three points or less. That can really kind of catapult you into that next season when the playoff window opens and, and something can really take off. So it's something to kind of keep in mind if if they keep playing these close games, if, if they can win more of them than they lose. Um, the other interesting thing, Zach Taylor in his career is two, eight, and one in games decided by three points or less. So both those wins have come this year only one Bengals coach in history has a winning record in games decided by three points or less any guess to who that might be i don't think it's marv i i would say how about sam nope sam was 10 and 10 marv was 25 26 and 3 a typical Marv number. 25, three, 26, <laughs> and three. That's like the most Marvin Lewis number ever. Um, Forrest Gregg was eight and five in That's such good. games. Paul Brown, who, you know, the great Paul Brown, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, six, 12, and one. Hmm. 
in those in those games. So I, I, it does. If if you are a coach that can win those close games consistently, that's that's a great sign. And again, I point back to that 1980 season, the year before the Super Bowl run, where the four and three bad bad team last place, but they had a winning record in close games like that. How interesting that through his first two seasons, Zach Taylor only had four games decided by three points or less, and in the first five games of this year, has four <laughs> games decided by three points or less. You know, we're we're learning a little bit about him and the ability to win those types of games uh, right now. But again, you mentioned all those records. I I don't. That's just what ha- the league. That's the league doing a bounce, doing a gust of wind mm. doing a, all that stuff we talked about earlier you know like paul brown i mean all everyone's around the same it's it's hard to be great at winning those you, you can like i'm sure it's probably more of a quarterback stat than anything you know where you mm. you get the tom brady's of the world that that have a way and i think joe burrow has that way and can win you a lot of those um but you know to me to me, the defining thing of a how good a team is going to be in the long run is that, okay, everyone's going to play a certain amount of these games in the middle, decided by three to five points, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like, that's just what it is. That's the league of parity. And then you have some games where you lay an egg and some games where the other team lays an egg and you kick their ass. How many more games are you on the right side of the uh, 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 of the egg laying? You know, versus did you have five games where you had a, got a blowout win that didn't come down to some luck and two where you kind of didn't show up or the opposite, you know, and so far we've really had one of those three points. Doesn't really, I mean, they got, they laid an egg in Chicago, Hmm. you know, you've had these three even games and then one in either direction, the ultimate 500 team, which is kind of where we thought they might end up. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Um, so I, if we're if we're breaking down where they're at with that, I don't I don't have a huge problem with it. By the way, record uh, uh, an NFL record nineteen games decided by the last play of regulation or in overtime through five weeks this year. That's an NFL record. Bengals have been in three of those. And you talked about the 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 opposite end of those close ones, the blowouts. They, they three straight road games, two of them against teams with a combined one win. They, I mean. Fans will take it if they win those close games, but if 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 any of these three road games end up being in the blowout range, those those two games against the Lions and the Jets have to go their way. Yeah, I mean, if if the Bengals if the Bengals want to be anything that the an optimistic timeline would be, they need to come out with winning two of these and see what happens in Baltimore as kind of another one of those early I'm not going to call it house money you start you do now you move into the okay need to start to win those it's an AFC North game and all that but you need to win two out of the next three and if you really want to be that because the schedule gets harder and all those things but and you've got you got to win these winnable games Detroit and the Jets you know you, you need to win both of those or if you do get upset in one of them you need to pull something off in Baltimore to, to really put yourself where where you want to be and need to be otherwise you know we start talking about oh well it's a good stepping stone year right and that's mm-hmm. we're, we're going to start to enter that portion of the program here um let's let's recap Bengals growler bet from last week our Bengals growler bet was what will be the time left in the game of the last touchdown scored by either team and unfortunately 
that touchdown. No one guessed anything in overtime. So I really could have used an overtime touchdown. Instead, we end up with all those field goals. Because Joe Mixon ran in with 332 left. We were said you had to be within four seconds of the snap. The 332 was the number. Shout out Matt Grosser. 332 right on the nose. I thought we were going to end up with some uh, so close. We had multiple one second off. Matt Grosser hits it right on the nose. Actually, we had another one at 334. So another winner, Monica Gleed. Congratulations on you being close. But Matt Grosser being on the nose with the edge out. With the edge out for, for the winner this week. So congratulations to Matt. Well done. We'll be in touch. Um, I, I'm just no mercy from this point forward. Although I, I, if I would have gone no mercy on that with just saying you have to hit it on the nose, and the man did. <laughs> I got to stop playing this game is what I got to do. I mean, it's a good thing. You wanted to do a five-second buffer. I said three, so we compromised at four. If, if yeah, we'd have gone with have five. None yep. of it would have mattered. None of it would have mattered. Uh, also, uh, it was pointed out on Twitter, people would love for us to start recapping the run passer boots that we do as well because they feel like they want to hear what the answers end up being when we do this. So we have that. Jay, of course, we'll have a spreadsheet. Uh, so... Run passer boot spreadsheet this week. Uh, last week's, uh, what, what was the question? Where, where did it end up last week, Jay? The, the question was, what will be higher in the Bengals-Packers game? Aaron Rodgers' completion percentage, Joe Burrow's completion percentage, or the, red, the Bengals' red zone touchdown percentage because the Packers had given up touchdowns on all 11 of their opponents' red zone trips. Um, I went red zone, Burrow, Rodgers. You went Rodgers, Red zone burrow, and it ended up being red zone 100%. Rogers 69.2 and burrow 68.4. So I think that means I win since I had the run right. That's fair. That's fair. But I mean, you're, you're winning four to one in growler bets so far this year. I am. <laughs> uh, very comfortable with that. Uh, all right. So we'll have. Some more run passer boots and growler bets for you on Thursday. And I'm very excited, as we preview this week against the Lions, to talk to Chris Burke, who covers the Lions. And I've been talking about this since back in the offseason, during the kind of Sewell chase, and we'll we'll touch on that. Detroit and Cincinnati are the same towns, like sports towns. They got the same droughts they've got the same issues with all their pro sports they have the same arguments they have the same sense of sadness and the other shoe always dropping the heartbreak in the post there's it's all the same stuff and now detroit had a number one overall draft pick quarterback that had a long run of success who's now in la there's just i'm telling you it it's amazing how often I read Chris, who's incredible and does great work in Detroit, and feel like I just replaced Detroit with Cincinnati and it's the same crap. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk to Chris about uh, two kindred sports city spirits uh, on Thursday. We'll have that coming for you and lots more previewing uh, the kneecap biting that will happen in Detroit this weekend. So, uh, all right. 
That'll wrap us up. Thanks to everybody for listening, and we will talk to you next time. I hear that podcast crowd. Good night, everybody. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.